0: Shalom mishpacha, Shalom family. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word, means family, and we're the mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall is separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form what Paul calls one new man. Actually, in the Greek, it's one new humanity. Getting ready, mishpacha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone, everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Now, many years ago, uh, I went to a hotel room. And this, these were years ago, I, I, I had this tiny little cassette tape recorder, and I had a radio show, and I used to bring this recorder and record people. Uh, and so I went to this hotel room, uh, and there was an evangelist there that most of you are familiar with. His name was Reinhard Bonnke. And after I'd interviewed him, he invited me to come to one of his campaigns. And the campaign was in Mubasa, Kenya. And uh, it was fairly disappointing for me, I have to tell you. And you know why it was so disappointing? His chief intercessor uh, had recently been to Israel And when she wanted to get in weeks in advance before this particular campaign, she couldn't get in. And for the first time, I realized one of the great, great secrets to the great miracles and the number of souls that were coming into the kingdom in Africa under the ministry of Reinhard Bonnke had to do with intercession, had to do with prayer. I have on the telephone Daniel Colinda. Now, Daniel is the successor to Reinhardt Bunke, and they minister together all over the world. Uh, And I've got so many questions for Daniel. But, uh, Daniel, you know the thing that's coming to my mind right now as I was talking about that interesting situation that I experienced in Kenya uh, was the Finney ministry and uh, a man by the name of Father Nash. Tell us about that.
1: Hi, uh, Sid. Let me just say, first of all, Hello, thank you so much for inviting me on the show. And um, it's good to see that we have a mutual friend in, and Pastor Bonke. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, Daniel Nash. I just wrote about him in a book that I wrote. And um, what an amazing ministry Charles Finney had. I think all of us are very familiar with it. Um, the people that were saved in his meetings, um, generations later, they were still living for the Lord. In fact, I've heard reports that today... You can go to certain places in New York where they still have dry laws, and they'll say, if you ask them why is there no alcohol allowed in this district or whatever, they'll say it's because there was an evangelist that came here uh, 150 years ago who preached the gospel, and his name was Charles Finney. So we all know the, the incredible dynamic ministry that Charles Finney had, but a lot of people don't realize that Charles Finney's ministry was linked very closely with another man by the name of Daniel Nash. And Daniel Nash was basically an unknown preacher. Um, He had gone through some very difficult times in his life. And he um, decided to go with Charles Finney as an intercessor. And so he would go into cities where Charles Finney was going to minister, sometimes weeks in advance. And he would fast, he would pray, he would cover the place in prayer until he felt that there was a breakthrough in the spiritual realm. And when he felt that breakthrough, he would send word to Charles Finney. Finney would come in and hold his evangelistic campaigns, and the people would be saved, and the city would be transformed. A lot of people don't realize that when Daniel Nash died, Charles Finney left the uh, the itinerant evangelistic ministry just a few weeks later. So really, there was a very strong linkage between the two, and and being someone who works with intercessors, I can tell you that for the evangelist, that, that gift of intercession is absolutely vital, and it's what gives us the impetus to move forward and to be able to do what God has called us to do.
0: And, and most people don't understand even the partnership. Uh, I, I kind of have a vision of Academy rewards night. I didn't say awards, I said "Rewards night in heaven." and I, and I can see someone uh, like a, a Charles Finney coming up to get his Oscar, but I see right along with Charles Finney. This Daniel Nash and a few other grandmothers that no one's ever heard of, walking not behind Charles Finney, but right alongside, sharing in in that Oscar. I I I literally can see that going on. Uh, But Daniel, for those that aren't familiar with the Reinhard Bonnke ministry or or what you've been doing, I mean, there's some amazing statistics. Uh, you, you personally led something like 10 million people to the Lord. How old are you?
1: I'm 30.
0: <laughs> Did you get that, mishpocha? He's 30 years old. He's led already led 10 million people to the Lord. In um, 1987, uh, they started counting how many people were coming to the Lord through his ministry, through Reinhard Bunke's ministry. And in the past uh, 24 years, years, uh, they have led over 10 million people to the Lord. Uh, That's equivalent
1: to... Let me just correct you there, Sid. It's actually over 68 million people during that time period. And um, yeah, I think that we did the math on that. It equates to, you know, over 20,000 people being saved every day for 24 years. So it's absolutely amazing number.
0: Is that amazing? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's staggering. When you were in Bible school, did you ever think—tell me the truth between you and me. Did you ever think it's so early in your ministry you'd be seeing so many souls come to the Lord?
1: No, of course not. I had no idea.
0: You, uh, uh, and, and you have a pretty impressive background. Uh, my background, I'm the first believer in my family. <laughs> your background, you come from five generations of Pentecostals.
1: Yeah, my, my ancestors come from Germany. They immigrated to Brazil as missionaries um, around the turn of the last century, and um, they started works there. They helped to start the Assemblies of God there, and uh, wonderful things happened. But then they um, actually, before they did help to start the Assemblies of God, they had heard that there were um, these meetings going on in, in the United States, in California, at Azusa Street. And so some of them... Uh, left Brazil and came to America to see what was going on. They got filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, some of them came back to Brazil. Others stayed in the States, and that's how I ended up being an American.
0: Uh, Daniel, um, you, you went to the Brownsville School of Ministry, and that's where you really had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. How transforming was it for you?
1: Well, Sid, you know, the, the truth is that it's hard for me to put that into words. I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I have loved the Lord for as long as I can remember. Um, I've known about the Holy Spirit and, and loved, in theory, the working of the Holy Spirit for as long as I can remember. But I, I had never personally experienced it. And, you know, it's one thing to look at a, at a porterhouse or a filet mignon behind a window. It's another thing to put it in your mouth and taste it for yourself. And um, that's what happened to me when I went to Brownsville. I saw God moving among the people in, on a scale that I had never seen before, and people's lives were being transformed. And it wasn't just something that was confined to a church service. It was happening every day. It was happening at the local Denny's restaurant. People were being filled with the Holy Spirit. People were experiencing the presence of God. Oh, oh, okay. Uh,
0: I want you to paint me a picture of one time at the local Denny's restaurant. What happened?
1: Um, I can paint you a picture of what we saw all the time, which was in Denny's, it was very, very typical to look around and to see at least a couple of tables where everybody at the table was either unconscious or drunk in the spirit or speaking in tongues. Uh, I can remember pulling into the local gas station and having to dodge bodies that were lying on the ground. Now, this is not in a church service. This is not in revival meetings. This is during the, during the day, on a weekday, People at the gas station passed out on the ground under the power of God. It seemed to be all pervasive. It was everywhere through the town. We heard stories that the policemen would pull over people for drunk driving, and the first question they would ask is, did you come from Brownsville tonight? It was just that it was something. God had invaded that city in a way that was absolutely extraordinary, and it changed my life.
0: Is this going to happen again in America? Is, is the, I, I mean, that was an extraordinary time. Uh, the, uh, the Azusa Street revival, that was an extraordinary time. What you experienced in Pensacola at the Brownsville revival, that was an extraordinary time. Are we going to see this again in America?
1: Said we have to. Uh, I think that we have no choice in America. We either need to see revival again, touch this nation, or or there's no hope for us. I really believe that our hope is not going to be found in politicians or in, in voting the right person in. It's going to be found in a move of the Holy Spirit. That's what's changing Africa. That's what's changing Asia. That's what affected this nation generations ago in the Great Awakening, and it's the thing that we need to receive in our generation if we're going to save it in Jesus' name
0: and And I have to believe, uh, because I've just finished your book, uh you call it "Your Kingdom come," subtitled "Unlocking the Miraculous," and it literally unlocks the miraculous because the truth of the matter is every Christian prays, but I believe they're going to have such a supernatural hunger. To be in intercession after reading your book, and literally, they need that supernatural hunger because they don't realize what they're accomplishing. You teach them in your book, literally, how to pray under an open heaven, how to change situations in their life, in their in in, in their family's life, how to overcome the enemy, uh, and and I I think that when someone finishes reading this book. They're going to pray with what you call expectancy. Um, what type of feedback? I don't, I don't know. You know, I can just tell you my reaction to this book. Uh, and, and I realize that every Christian prays, but they don't pray with such excitement uh, that you pray with. Uh, what effect is this book having on people?
1: Well, you know, it said there's prayer and then there's prayer. I always think of the disciples when they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, you know, they were good Jewish uh, boys. They had grown up praying. They had always prayed. They, they knew how to pray very well. But when they saw Jesus, they realized that there was something missing uh, and that there was a dimension of prayer that they had not yet tapped into. And, and you know, the thing is, I'm not a theologian. I, I don't claim to be. Uh, my writing is not from a marble desk in a university classroom. I'm just a foot soldier, but on the front lines. And for us, prayer is not a, uh, it's not a luxury it's a matter of necessity. It's life or death.
0: It, it literally is life or death. But I want to tell you, with what's coming here in America, it's life or death for you to be so excited and so lost in the spirit when when you're interceding for people, and then you've got these two special CDs called Healing in the Glory, in which Daniel Read Scripture, Reinhard Bonnke. Read Scripture. The anointing is so powerful. We're making all this available for a gift of $30. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, one 447 2697 What's the most people that have ever come to one of your campaigns or, or, or Reinhardt's?
1: Yeah, in the year 2000, in a single meeting, that's not, you know, an addition of a bunch of meetings, but in one night, in one meeting, we had 1.6 million people in attendance.
0: Now, how many of those people would have been there if there were no miracles?
1: Um, very, very few, I can say that. Miracles are, as Pastor Bonke says, our bread and butter. They're the, they're the dinner bell. And when the people hear of what God is doing, how the sick are being healed, the lame are walking, the blind eyes are seeing, they come to receive their own miracle from the Lord, and many, many, many of them do.
0: You know, the anointing for the miraculous is something that is contagious. It's literally caught. Now, you saw some miracles when you were at the Great Revival in uh, the Brownsville Church in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, Not that many, but you saw some. But when you went on the field with Reinhard Bonnke, something exploded in you. Uh, because did you ever see a blind person get their sight when you were in the United States when you prayed?
1: No, never. Did
0: you ever see a deaf person hear when you were in the United States when you prayed? No. So what's the difference? Why? Did, why do you see thousands of blind people get their sight? Thousands of deaf people get their hearing. Thousands of lame people get out of wheelchairs and start walking. What's the difference?
1: Well, I think, I think the fundamental difference between Africa and America is the individual person. It's us, you know. I had always had this question, and people asked it to me quite often, why do more miracles happen in Africa uh, than in your meetings in, in America? And I had tried to come up with all kinds of uh, explanations from the Bible or or rationalities for this and then one day the Holy Spirit touched me and I realized that all of that rationale was just excuses and I think what happened to me when I went to Africa and I saw what God was doing through Reinhard Bonnke the thing that struck me the most was the simplicity of it I I had always had this idea that healing was this this really lofty thing it was sort of the pinnacle of the of the spiritual experience and only those who had arrived at that pinnacle could experience those uh, signs and wonders and when I saw Ryan Harbonke, it was so easy. It was so natural. It was a part of everyday life. And, and what it actually did for me, said, was it was like a, a fresh wind blowing through my soul, sweeping away all of those arguments, all of that rationale, all of that, that theological mumbo-jumbo that was in my head. And I suddenly realized that healing is easy because Jesus does it. It's about faith in his name. It's like Peter and John when they saw that lame man walk. Peter said, don't think it's by us or by our righteousness that we made this man to walk. It's through faith in the name of Jesus Christ. That's where the power comes from. That's where the miracles come from.
0: But wait a second. You knew that. You knew that. You sat, you, you went to Brownsville School of uh, Theology. Mike Brown is the professor. there. I know you understood all of that. Well, what is difference... the difference? Explain it to me.
1: I, I think there's a difference between understanding something in your in your mind, and understanding it with your heart. I mean, to say to to someone, you can experience miracles, is one thing. And they could say, okay, I believe that. But when they go out on the street, in simple obedience and faith, and they lay hands on a blind person, and they see those blind eyes open, and it suddenly clicks in their heart that God will do these things for them. God is able to do these things through them. They don't have to be some super televangelist uh, to see the miraculous. I think that's when things began to change. And when I saw it, When I was there in the midst of it, and when I was seeing people that I laid my hands on suddenly receiving their sight, and when I saw people that I was praying for suddenly hearing that that had been deaf before, that's when it really began to grow in my soul, and I began to have this confidence in God's Word and the simple trust in the name of Jesus. Uh,
0: Tell me about this guy that's been blind for 80 years of his life that gets his sight back how did you have the faith to pray for someone that's been blind for
1: 80 years? Well, that's, that's just it. I mean, the, Jesus has no more difficulty healing somebody that's been blind for 80 years than someone that's had a cold for 10 minutes. It's just Jesus. It's Jesus. And this is, this is part of what I'm trying to express is that when we can get beyond ourselves and beyond our limitations and beyond thinking that it's about us or our abilities or our gifts or even our anointing, and we begin to trust in the power of the name and in the blood of Jesus. That's when we realize that nothing is impossible. What we call supernatural, God calls natural. What we call impossible, that's everyday existence for God. And so
0: uh, people, uh, let me ask you a question. You, uh, you you have two powerful CDs uh called Healing in the Glory in which you make proclamations. Reinhard Bunkey makes proclamation. The music by the way is sensational. The anointing on it it's i mean it is so wonderful and i want to play a selection and you you already told us the title as you were speaking uh it's a song that many people are familiar with nothing but the blood of jesus tell me about that song
1: well you know it's it's part of that revelation of of where the miraculous comes from it's all about the blood of jesus what he did on calvary his stripes his blood you know, this is the central message of the gospel, and this is why people are healed, not because of us. And I'll, I'll tell you, we, we sent this after we had recorded this music. We sent it to a gentleman who began to mix it down, and he called me. He said, you know, as when I went into the studio to mix the music down, he said, I had terrible pain in my back. And he said, as I was mixing that song, The Power of the Blood of Jesus, he said, suddenly I realized all the pain was gone. He literally had been healed just by allowing that word to soak into him.
0: Watch how many people of you get healed right now as we hear nothing but the blood of Jesus, especially people with back pains
1: right now.
2: let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Galatians 3, 13, 14, and 29, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Colossians 1, 12-14 giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins.
0: Okay, how did you like the glory on that song? How would you like two CDs? One CD is just the music alone for soaking. And his book, Your Kingdom Come, subtitled Unlocking the Miraculous, it is going to give you a supernatural, not a natural, a supernatural burden to pray, to break through for your vision. Just out of curiosity, Daniel, have you seen many people with AIDS healed?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I just, it's funny you ask that because, I mean, I'm talking about a matter of about 10 days ago. I saw a young man who came and brought me in one of our meetings. He brought me his report from the doctor. He had been in the last stages of HIV. We prayed for him. The next morning he went to the doctor and asked them to retest him. That night he brought me the report and showed it to me. I read it with my own eyes. It said HIV negative. He had been totally healed. And this is something we see almost in every single meeting where we go. Daniel Kalenda,
0: have you seen the dead raised?
1: I have, absolutely.
0: Tell me one, real quick.
1: Um, yeah, just a few months ago, we were in a city called Nsuka in Nigeria, and I was preaching there in the middle of the message. You've got to understand these meetings are long. Sometimes they last six hours or more. While I was preaching, there was a mother that had come there, and she brought her three-year-old son. His name was Great. She, he had been very, very sick, and she brought him for a healing, as many people do. And um, she told us that in the middle of the meeting... She looked over, she saw that, that her boy was lying on the ground. She examined him, he didn't have a pulse, he didn't have a heartbeat. She brought him up, and I wasn't able to pray for that boy for a few hours because the, the meeting continued to go on. But at the end of the meeting, I came down and I laid hands on him, and almost instantly he opened his eyes, he began to breathe. And not only was, did he come back from the dead, but he was totally healed in Jesus' name.
0: At a curi- what was what was he healed of?
1: um we weren 't able to tell because doctors are very, very scarce there, as you can imagine
0: uh, okay uh tell me about uh, you, you have a chapter in your book called "Your Kingdom Come: Unlocking the miraculous uh about the atmosphere of expectancy uh, i when I was a brand new believer. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Catherine Coleman that I got to know. Uh, and when people would go to her meetings, the expectancy was so great that many people were healed on the bus before they even got to the meeting. Others were in long lines to get inside so that they could get healed they got healed while they were in the long lines they were, and i've seen even in in uh, many people that i've interviewed that have had miracles they make the, they all make the same statement they all say i knew i was going to be healed if i could get to this particular place they didn't say i hope i was going to be healed they said i know that i'm going to be healed uh, and, and at your meetings, I have to believe there is such an atmosphere of expectancy for the miraculous.
1: Well, you know, we, we talk about faith a lot. And I think faith has become a very religious term that, that has become so convoluted people don't often understand what it is. But faith is expectancy. It's expecting that you are going to receive what Jesus says that you're going to receive. And like you said, these people, they come to our meetings uh, I remember being in one place. I didn't even know that it was a village. There were so few people there. By the time the last night of the campaign took place, over 400,000 people had arrived. They had walked, some of them for days, on foot to the, to the um, field. They were sleeping on the ground in between the meetings. And why were they all coming? Not to hear a rock concert, not to listen to a great entertainer, but to receive something from God. And they all believed that if they could receive prayer, they would be healed of their uh, of their illnesses. They would be delivered of their demons, and as a result, we saw it happen on, on a phenomenal scale.
0: Yeah, you know, you come from such a rich heritage. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, "Boy, I wish I had a great testimony like you said. I wish I was uh, in the New Age and I, I and I had an encounter with the devil and Jesus rescued me." I, I have to tell you, I wish I came from five generations of Pentecostals. I, I wish I had that, that flowing in my blood. Uh, uh, it, so that, tell me a bit about your great-grandfather and that insane person.
1: Well, it, it happened in the year 1919. My great-grandfather had immigrated to America just a, a few years earlier. He had started a little church church. And um, they had received the power of Pentecost. They were, they were just in the midst of this, this great revival. And I heard the story of this guy named Matis Nagy all my life growing up. I, I heard the story from eyewitnesses who had seen it all happen. And um, Matis was married to a woman who was a member of my grandfather's church. And he was a very rebellious man. His wife would go to church, but he would not. And he actually hated the church. He hated my great-grandpa. He hated Jesus. He hated Christianity. They said he was a very, very bitter man, and they said at times he would do very bizarre things. One of the things they had seen him do was to go into his barn and climb up into the hayloft and jump down head first. They said he would land on the cement, the cement ground, and when he would get up, he wouldn't be injured. And it was very, very bizarre, and my, my great-grandfather, my uncles, they would, they would talk to him. They would say, "Matas, you are going down a very, very dangerous road, and they said, what, the power at work in you is satanic, but... Uh, this man wasn't willing to listen. And so they said one day he, he had an argument with someone. He flew into a rage, and they said from that day something changed about him. They didn't realize what it was until one day uh, my grandfather had a frantic knocking at her door, and it was the wife of Matis Nagi. And my grandfather said, what's wrong? And she said, I had just come from the store. I was riding in the, the horse-covered wagon. And she said she pulled up to the house, and she saw her husband standing on the porch with an axe in his hand. And she said blood was dripping off of the blade and off of the handles. She didn't know what had happened, but she knew something very bad uh, was going on. And so she came to get my grandfather. When they went to the house, they said that as soon as Matus saw them, he began to scream. He said, he said, get away from me. He said, you're covered in red. I can't touch you. Don't come near me. And as they approached him, he turned he ran into the woods, and when they went into the house, they made the grisly discovery that he, this man, Matis, had murdered his mother and his children with that axe uh, in cold blood right hmm. there in their beds. They said that the men of the village, these these strong husky farmers, they wouldn't go out at night. They would, they would come in early from doing their chores because they were afraid of this madman that was lurking somewhere in the woods. Finally, the police caught him. They, they put him on trial, and... The, the judge deemed that he was not fit to stand trial. They said he was absolutely insane. They committed him to an assailant, a uh, sane asylum in uh, Pontiac, Michigan. And there he was just left to rot for the rest of his days. And um, they said one day a letter came from the, the gentleman who was the warden at that insane asylum. And the letter said that Matis Nagy was getting worse. He didn't think that the man was going to live very long. And so he asked the wife uh, of Matis to come visit him one last time. When she got that letter, she took it to my great-grandfather. They gathered in the church building, and they began to intercede, and they began to pray. I'm, I'm not talking about, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. I'm talking about intercession. The, 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 the righteous, uh, fervent prayer of a righteous man inter- uh, avails much, the Scripture says. And they prayed until they felt that breakthrough in the Spirit. And when they felt like they had received that, my, my great uncle John said, I'm going to visit Montes in that insane asylum. I believe Jesus has set him free. And so he went. It was about a hundred mile journey uh, to, to Pontiac, to where, where that insane asylum was. And when he went into the doors, the, the doctor met him who was in charge. The doctor's name was Mr. Christian, Dr. Christian. He said, he said John, come here. That was my great uncle's name. He said, come here. I want to talk to you. He said, this man that you're that, that you want to see something bizarre has happened. He said, this man was so insane, we had to put him in a room by himself. He had stripped all of his clothes off, and he would shout and scream all day. He said, we were afraid that he was going to kill himself. And he said, he said, the other day, just out of nowhere, he said, all of a sudden, everything changed. He said, he came into his right mind. He said, he's eating, he's having conversations, he's rational, he's polite. He said, I don't understand what's happened. So he brought my uncle into the room to see Matis. When Matis saw my uncle, he ran up to him. He threw his arms around him. He said, John, is it true what they're saying? They've told me these horrible stories. I don't remember any of this happening. And so John, reluctantly, he told him what had happened, how, this, how he had killed his mother and his children. And they said he broke down. He wept bitterly because he loved his mother. He loved his children very much. He, he was absolutely devastated. But Jesus had delivered him. My my uncle led him to the Lord right there in that insane asylum. They kept him there under observation for another year because they really couldn't believe that that such a dramatic change had taken place. But ultimately he was released. He went back uh, to Pigeon, Michigan. He lived the rest of his life. He was reunited with his wife. And my uncle said that many years later he was going through that same town. He went to the church where Matis grew up. And he was preaching, and he asked people, he said, does anyone here have a testimony of something the Lord has done for them? And he said, at the back of the room, this old man with white hair stood up. This was 30-some years after that event where uh, Matis had killed his, his family. He said that the old man that stood up was Matis. And Matis said, I have a testimony. And he began to quote that scripture out of Psalms that says, he brought me up out of a horrible pit, and he set my feet upon the rock. And um, that was the testimony that... Even though they were separated by a 100 miles, that through their prayers, the Lord had reached across time and space and delivered that man right there in his insane insane asylum and set him free to the glory of God.
0: You know, Daniel, in your generations, you have got... Uh, such a a godly heritage. You have seen so many miracles uh, in association with Reinhard Bunke that when you write a book about unlocking the miraculous called Your Kingdom Come, I believe that when people read this book, they will supernaturally I 'm not naturally supernaturally have such an excitement in their heart over prayer of what can be accomplished, their unsaved family that can get saved, uh, their children, their grandchildren, their brothers, their sisters, their parents, uh, those on drugs and alcohol, those living perverse lifestyles, uh, literally it this book is going to give them a passion to connect with God and see God's kingdom come on earth. And then your CDs called Healing in the Glory, in which you and Reinhard Bunke make proclamations, the music, it was it, so wonderful for soaking. We're going to make this entire package available for a gift of $30. And, uh, you know, Daniel, the presence of God for healing Became so strong as you were sharing on this show that I believe on tomorrow's broadcast that there's going to be a release of the miraculous, and uh, and boy, I can feel it right now. I can't, I can't wait. It's almost like the Holy Spirit says, "Come on, Sid, come on, let Daniel loose." Uh, so we're going to do that on tomorrow's broadcast. In the meantime, I want you to be get mentored. Under Daniel, what he's learned, he's standing on the shoulders of Reinhard Bunky. So get the book and Healing in the Glory CD and be sure to be with us tomorrow. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 447 2697 Daniel, how in the world... Uh, do you pray for over a million people at one meeting? How, how does that work?
1: Well, I'll tell you one way we don't do it. We can't lay hands on everybody. Um, we used to do that when the meetings were smaller, but in these days there, there's far too many. So we, we leave that into the Lord's hands. Many years ago, the Lord uh, spoke to Reinhardt and he said, don't worry that you can't lay your hands on everyone. I will lay my hands on them. And if you ask me, that's a better deal anyways.
0: I I agree. You know, when I was reading your book, Your Kingdom Comes, subtitled Unlocking the Miraculous, uh, you have a list of some of the names of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, And you know what my thought was, Daniel, that as these names are read— Do you have a copy of your book in front of you by any chance? Turn to page 65. I have an idea. I got it. All right. I want you to read just right from the book— Read some of the uh, read that page, and and Mishpocha, trust me on this. He's going to read this page, and then he's going to begin to teach just for a couple of minutes, and then he is going to pray. But as he's reading from this page, I tell you, people are going to be healed. Get ready to receive. And when you receive, once that anointing goes in you, whether it goes in by faith and you don't uh, feel a thing, or whether you shake all over your body, I tell you, let every man be a liar, but God's word is true. By his stripes, you were, past tense, you were, you were healed. Would you read, Daniel?
1: Let me start by reading what Jesus said about himself. John six fifty one, Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. John eight twelve, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. John ten seven, he said, I'm the door. John ten eleven, he said, I'm the good shepherd. John eleven twenty-five, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. John fourteen six, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John fifteen one, he said, I am the true vine. In John eight, fifty eight, listen to this. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, how many know that is a, a powerful statement to to a group of Jewish people? Jesus was declaring of himself that he is the way, the truth, the life, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the vine, the great I am, the Passover lamb, the ark of Noah's salvation, the brass serpent lifted up in the wilderness, the rock of Horeb, the city of refuge. He is that veil in the tabernacle that was torn. He is the tabernacle itself. He is the unleavened bread. He is the manna from heaven. He is our Melchizedek. He is our kinsman redeemer. He is our high priest. He is the tree of life. He is the stairway to heaven. He is the second Adam. He is Isaac going to get a bride. He is that warrior that stood before Joshua with a drawn sword. He is Jonah three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He is in every way the fullest and most complete fulfillment of every promise, every type, every shadow, every epiphany, and every theophany. He is the end of all theology. He is the reason for every genealogy. He is at the heart of every prophecy. His coming has split history in two and has changed absolutely everything. Amen. This is the Jesus that we serve. And you know, Sid, when you ask me to talk about Jesus, that's right up my alley because I believe that's where all the power is. In the name of Jesus. And people say to me, how can you preach healing? You know, when I get up and and, and pray for the sick, I don't say, if it's God's will, you'd be healed. I say, be healed in Jesus' name. Because I believe that it is God's will to heal. And that's usually what I have discovered is where most people are blocked. They believe that God can heal them. But they're not sure that God wants to heal them right now. And so I want to just give your listeners three reasons why I believe that Jesus wants to heal them right now. First is what Jesus did. When we read through the New Testament, we read about the acts of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, you'll notice a common theme. That not only did he preach the kingdom, but then he demonstrated the kingdom by putting out his hands and healing the sick. We read in Matthew 8.16, when evening came, they brought to him many that were possessed with devils. And it says he cast out the spirits with his word. And listen to this. He healed everyone that was sick. Not he healed a few. Not a a selection, but he healed them all. So the first way we know that it's God's will to heal is by what Jesus did. The second thing is by what Jesus said. Um, I love this story in the book of Luke 5.12, where there was a man with leprosy that came to Jesus, and the Bible says that he fell on his face, and he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now this is interesting to me, because most of us, if we went to the doctor, we would say, Doctor, if you can heal me, then I know you will. But that wasn't the question of this man. He didn't say, Jesus, can you heal me? He said, I know you can heal me if you are willing to heal me. That is the key. Is he willing? And I want you to notice what Jesus said to that man, because I believe that the answer of Jesus to that leprous man is the answer of Jesus to everyone who's listening to this broadcast right now. Luke 5.13, Jesus says, he put forth his hand, he touched him and said, I am willing, be willing. Cleansed And immediately it says, the leprosy departed. So number one is what Jesus did. Number two is what Jesus said. And number three, one more re- way that I know is by what Jesus commanded. You know, if, if um, I have someone here on my staff at the office and I command them or I ask them to do something, and then they do it, and then I start shouting at them and asking them, why did you do this thing? They would think I'd lost my mind because no one in their right mind would command something that wasn't their will, but Jesus commanded us to heal the sick. Listen to what He said in Matthew ten eight. Jesus said, "Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out the de- devils. Freely you have received, freely give." And I could go on and on uh, with scriptures of where Jesus commanded them to heal the sick. Now you say yes, but that was two thousand years ago. Jesus did those things two thousand years ago. He said those things 2,000 years ago. He commanded those things 2,000 years ago. And that's why we have Hebrews thirteen eight, which, as you know, says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he only said the same things, but he didn't do the same things, he wouldn't be the same. But he is the same because he says the same, he does the same, and he commands the same. And so with all of my heart and all of my confidence, I believe that he can and that he will touch every person that needs a miracle in their body right now, in Jesus' name.
0: I, I, I am feeling such a presence of God's healing anointing that's ready to be released. Trust me right now. Open yourself up, That because as Daniel prays, I'm telling you, in the invisible world, the presence of... Of God is going to enter your body and it's going to be like a river and wherever that river goes there's going to be healing please pray
1: Sid, I just I just saw something a few minutes ago in my spirit there's somebody listening to this broadcast they they I know this sounds strange I'm just being obedient to the Holy Spirit you stepped on a nail with your right foot and there was a puncture in the bottom of your foot that resulted in an infection and that infection is not healing Even though you're taking uh, drugs, it's not going away. Right now, in Jesus' name, I command that infection to dry up and to go. I command that foot to be healed in the name of Jesus. This is also another little funny one, but uh, the Holy Spirit is telling me there's somebody listening now who you've lost your sense of smell. Right now, in Jesus' name, I command your sense of smell to return to you. In Jesus' name, I rebuke cancer. Every form of cancer, go in the mighty name of Jesus. I command you to be healed right now from emphysema, from asthma, from tuberculosis in the name of Jesus. Be healed from every infection. Be healed from HIV. HIV positive, I command to turn to HIV negative in Jesus' name. Be healed of rheumatism. Be healed of arthritis in the name of Jesus. I command all that pain in your body to go right now. I declare that that pinched nerve in your leg is being relieved right now. And pain is going. Some of you, as you listen, you're feeling a warmth come over your body. Some of you, it feels like electricity tingling inside of you. That is the healing virtue of of Jesus. Just receive that healing in your body right now. And, Father, for all of those who have sicknesses that I have not named, Lord, you know each and every one. And, Father, I pray that you would just give my brother, my sister, the faith to receive that healing right now. And I pray that that virtue would go through their body and not only heal them, but make them whole in the name of Jesus, I pray.
0: And you know, Daniel, I saw arthritic conditions in the fingers, You'll know, especially that little finger. You'll move it right now, and lumps are gone, uh, that you're concerned that it's cancer. Those lumps are gone yes. because that anointing is destroying the yoke. And I want you to hear a selection from Daniel Colenda's CD. It's actually two CDs called Healing in the Glory because what God has started, he's going to seal with this music. Let's go to Healing
2: Romans chapter 8 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Psalms 32. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me.
0: There's something you do at your meeting, which uh, I think our mishbucha would be interested in. Uh, You break curses. Tell me how you do that.
1: Yeah, you know, this is something we take very, very seriously in our campaigns, because in many of these places in Africa, especially the tribal regions, the people have grown up with uh, these superstitions, they're very, very familiar with the deities, with the, with the demons. In fact, Sid, you, you'd be amazed. I ask in, in these campaigns that the local pastors provide me with the name of the curses. And do you know they bring me sheets of names of local deities? I mean, these people know exactly what the curses are and what they're related to, and they say, break these for us in Jesus' name. And so I'll preach one night on the blood of Jesus, because I believe it's the blood of Jesus that breaks the curse. And after I preach on the blood of Jesus, I take that piece of paper with those names of those demons. And you have to understand, the people live in such fear of those uh, deities that they won't even speak their names out loud for fear that some curse will come on them. And I'll take the names of those curses and of those demons, those principalities, and I'll pray through that gigantic sound system with hundreds of thousands of people in attendance, I'll read each one of those names and break its power in the name of Jesus. Now,
0: now, Daniel, just out of curiosity, do you have any—if they have
1: that fear, and these things are real, don't you have fear when you're doing this? Said I'm not afraid of any devil. The devils are afraid of me because I come covered by, protected by the blood of Jesus and, and with a pure heart and with faith and with anointing, and that anointing destroys the yoke of bondage. So anyways, we, we, we preach the gospel, we pray to break these curses, and amazing things begin to happen. We, we see miracles happening right there on the field. I remember um, not too long ago, Evangelist Bonke was praying uh, for these curses to be broken, and there was a mother there who had three young children, and there was some genetic uh, thing that was on them, and, and all three children were blind. And when he said, I break the power, and he called out this particular name, said, I break it in the name of Jesus. And instantly, all three of those children began to say, I can see. I can see. We went to their home. We talked to their relatives. We talked to their neighbors. And it was absolutely true that all three of those children had been instantly healed when those curses were broken. We were in another place where the the pastors told us that the, the witch doctors used divination to control the people. And they would stand on certain stones. They called them speaking stones. Because when they stood on these particular sacred rocks, they said they would hear the voices of these demon gods, and then they would relay the messages to the people, and they controlled the people through fear. But then the pastors told us that after our campaign, these, these witch doctors were complaining because they said ever since those evangelists came here and preached about the blood of Jesus— they said the stones don't speak to us anymore can't practice our divination anymore the power of that thing that principality that had controlled that region was literally broken in jesus name
0: you know many people bring in uh, uh charms and star and, and and carvings uh from africa and these things have demons attached to them uh, tell me about one person
1: well it's not just africa you know it's it's many many parts of the world and I think in the West, we, we kind of think of these things as silly and superstitious, and we don't put a lot of stock in it. But I tell you, it's serious. There is a spiritual world. There are demons. There are curses. And it's not something that you want to play games with. Um, years ago, I had a friend who is a, a Native American Indian, and um, he had gotten very sick. He called me, and he said, I'm, I'm struggling with the sickness. I can't seem to get better. He said, would you come to my house and pray for me? I said, well, of course. So I called a few of my friends who I knew we're also uh, men of faith. We went over to his house. We gathered there around his bed. He was coughing. He was hacking. He was sweating, lying there on that bed. We began to pray for him in the name of Jesus. And, and we prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing seemed to be happening. I must admit, I, I began to get a little bit frustrated in my heart. And I prayed. I said, Lord, what is it? What, wh- why isn't this thing breaking? Why isn't this sickness going and the, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he directed my attention to something hanging on the wall over that guy's bed. And I said to him, it was a, it was a decoration. I said, what, what is this thing? He said, well, that's a, that's a family heirloom. It was given to me by her mother. I said, where did your mother get it from? He said, well, it was given to her by her mother. I said, well, where did she get it from? He said, it was given to her by the local witch doctor of our tribe. And suddenly the light went on for me. And I said to that brother, I said, my friend, I want to pray for you to be healed. But I said, first, we need to get this thing out of your life because I believe that, it, that it's drawing a curse to you. And he, he was very reluctant. He said, you know, that, that's, a, that's a very special family heirloom to me. I, it would really break my heart to, to get rid of it. And I said, well, then I'm done praying here. I, there's nothing more for me to pray about. So uh, with, together with my friends, we said goodbye. We left. And my, my um, friend continued to get more sick by the day Finally, he called me one day. He said, he said, I need you to come back. He said, I'm ready to do whatever it takes to get rid of this sickness, even if it means destroying that, that fetish. I said, okay, we're coming. So we went back again. He took that thing off of his wall. I didn't do it. He took it. He broke it. He burned it. He destroyed it. And then we prayed for him again, and almost instantly healing came into his body, and he was completely restored. And this is not in Africa. This is here in America Because demons are just as real in America as they are anywhere else.
0: Uh, You know, Daniel, I'm thinking about all the uh, Dracula movies and uh, all all of the werewolves in the the New Age, and the the witchcraft that is coming right into people's homes through their TV. Uh, If the head of the household or someone in the household doesn't know how to grab hold of God— Uh, And that's why your book is so powerful. It's called Your Kingdom Come, subtitled Unlocking the Miraculous. It'll give people such a supernatural burden to pray. Uh, And you know what? It's not for someone else. If you are not praying, with I, I, a friend of mine prophesied and they saw it in the spirit, there is an invasion and it's through computers and it's through television of the demonic like the world has never seen. Uh, and if they don't understand the power of the blood, if they don't understand how to pray, uh, as a matter of fact, you went and you saw how simple it was when Reinhard Brunke just proclaimed a simple message and believed, thousands of people instantly healed. Uh, did, you, uh, did you spend any time observing how Reinhardt would pray daily and then do the same, or how did that work with you?
1: Well, yeah, I, I actually traveled with Reinhardt for two years before I began to do this on my own and before he gave me the microphone, actually.
0: All right, what was his prayer life like? What is your prayer life like?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I learned from him is that prayer is not something you do for an hour a day in the morning before breakfast. I learned from him that prayer is a lifestyle. Paul talked about praying always, and what I observed from, from Pastor Bonke is that wherever we were, whatever we were doing, he was praying. Under his breath, he was saying, thank you, Jesus. When we got on the elevator, he was praying. When we got in the car, he was praying. And I began to realize that prayer is a, is a lifestyle, and that's what I've tried to adopt into my own life. You know, when I, when I pray, and I do have a scheduled prayer time where I pray in the mornings, but my goal in that prayer time is not to, to tick it off my spiritual to-do list for the day. The goal in my prayer time is to make that connection with the supernatural realm and for that divine energy to begin to flow into my life. And when I leave that prayer closet, I feel and I sense that energy. And now my goal is to maintain that connection with the Holy Spirit throughout the rest of the day, because I want to walk in His presence, and I want to walk in His power.
0: You know, when you actually pray, do you soak? Do you pray in tongues? Uh, how, how, do you, how, how is your personal prayer
1: life? Well, you know, I've found for me personally that the more definitions I put on it, the more rigid it becomes. It's just like with my wife. When I'm with my wife, sometimes we talk, sometimes we laugh, sometimes we just sit together. It's organic. It's natural. It's not something we come and we say, okay, we have, to, we have to talk now for 10 minutes, or now we have to read to each other for 10 minutes. It's, it's relational, and that's how I treat my time with the Lord. I come before Him without any preconceived ideas, without any requests or demands. I just come to Him, and how I begin is I say, Lord, what do you want? What's on your heart? What do you want to say to me? And I let Him be the guide. I let Him be the leader. Mishpocha. I
0: want you to get this mentoring tool in your hands and start implementing it. Daniel Kalenda has written a book, Your Kingdom Come, Unlocking the Miraculous. It'll give you such a supernatural boost in prayer and with what's coming on planet Earth. God wants you to be the head and not the tail. God wants you to be an overcomer no matter what's going on in this Earth. I want you to get this book and its two CDs, Healing in the Glory, available for gift of $30, Shabbat broadcast. The Lord has blessed you. The Lord has kept you. The Lord has smiled upon you. And he has given you. His gifts, he's already given you his gifts. He's surrounded you with his favor. In the name of the Tsar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikinu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. <laughs>
1: Ihr eradt night von der Felche wir können
0: To hear this week's interview in its entirety, or to watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural! Visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming mishpucha or chalitzim, Write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box, 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521. Or call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 912-265-2500. That's 912 912- 265-2500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation of $10 or more to Sid Roth, that's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 1918, Brunswick, Georgia, 31521.